Hello and welcome once again to the Perimeter Church Podcast. When the angels appeared to the shepherds to announce the birth of Christ, they said they had good news of great joy that will be for all the people. Teaching team member Bob Cargo continues the series Advent with this sermon entitled Christ, the Light to the Nations, which covers Isaiah chapter 49 verses 1 to 6. For more information and to watch or hear other sermons, please visit our website at Perimeter.org. Thank you for joining us today. You know, one thing I'm thankful for is I'm thankful for Advent of 2020, Christmas 2020, December 2020, in part because it means 2020 is almost over. Uh, This has been a crazy, crazy year, hasn't it? Uh, I mean, there have been many good things that have happened this year, but overall, wouldn't we all have to say, uh, this has been a tough year. This has been a tough year. Uh, this last week, I ended up having to get a COVID test, tested negative, that's great. But the nurse that administered the test said, 2020 has left me wondering every month that goes along, what else do I need to be afraid of? And that's a hard place to be, isn't it? Uh, I don't know about you, but when I look at my circumstances, when I look at our city, our our nation, uh, whatever, I find myself very often these days being discouraged, uh, being disheartened, uh, sometimes uh, feeling like I'm depressed uh, and, and significantly distressed. I find myself being really concerned uh, about a lot of things. And I bet I'm not alone in that, right? I bet a number of us are feeling the same things. You know, there's an advantage of having to be forced to be, uh, to be a student of church history like a minister has to. And one of the advantages is this. It puts me in touch with the fact that hardship and hard circumstances and suffering is the majority report of the followers of Jesus throughout history. I'm not trying to belittle what we're facing right now in our country or around the world or anything else, but when you look at the the history of the church and the history of God's people, uh, most followers of Jesus throughout history have faced things more significant than we are facing right now. Can you imagine, for example, of what it was like to be a follower of Jesus in Europe during World War II. Corrie ten Boom Boom and her father and her family were watchmakers uh, in Holland. Uh, They were followers of Jesus, and as followers of Jesus, they participated in hiding many Jews who were escaping the Holocaust in Germany. They were discovered, they were arrested, they were sent to a concentration camp. There her father and her sister died Corey Ten Boom survived. And she went on to have a worldwide ministry talking about how the love of Christ motivated her to be able even to forgive the guards at the prison camp, even to forgive those who had abused her in so many different ways. She talked about the only hope being the gospel. And this last week or two, the last few weeks, I saw a meme from her, and the quote said this If you look at the world, you'll be distressed. If you look within, you'll be depressed, but if you look at Christ, you'll be at rest. Maybe a little corny in the way it's put, but man, that is true. So let me ask you in these disturbing times, are you distressed, are you depressed, or are you at rest? In this Advent series, we're looking at the gospel as it is presented to us in the Old Testament book of Isaiah. Isaiah gives us what is called the servant songs. stories, four different passages that are about the servant of the Lord. And this was written to people that were in a very distressing, very disturbing time. 
Isaiah was preaching to those that had been carted away into captivity in Babylon. Can you imagine what it would be like to be conquered as a nation and then all taken away into captivity into another country? How disturbing is that? That's the people to whom Isaiah is preaching. And he preaches to a group of people that are in despair, but at the same time, he talks about the servant of the Lord, and that points to Jesus. And when we put our eyes upon Jesus, we find joy and strength and courage and rest for our souls. If you have a Bible, please turn with me to the book of Isaiah. It's one of the largest books in the Old Testament. You'll find it somewhere toward the middle, a little bit to the right of Psalms. If you have a a device, you'll find the text that we're going to look at today and the outline as well. Our outline's a little extensive today, so if you have access to our website, to our app, or anything, you might want to follow along right there, although everything you're going to see is going to be right here on the screen. Last week, Jeff Norris, our lead pastor, started off in this Advent series, and he talked about Christ as the sustainer of the weary. Today, we're backing up one chapter into chapter 49. We're looking at a group of people that are not only weary, but more than that, distressed. And we're seeing that Christ is not only the sustainer of the weary, but he is the light to the nations. He's the light to the nation. And here's the main idea of the sermon. I don't want you to miss it. When our mission in life becomes smaller than the mission of God into which he's inviting us, or when our view of the mission of God is just centered right here, right in the immediate, right where I am right now. In either of those cases, we can become very discouraged and disheartened and distressed. But if we lift up our eyes and see that Christ is the light to the nations, when we see what he's doing around the world, and when we realize we've not only been recipients of this gospel of grace, We are now partners with God himself and partners with our brothers and sisters around the world as messengers of this gospel of grace. And when we view it that way, then we will find instead of distress and depression, we will find hope and courage and joy and purpose. Here's the idea of the message. Jesus is the light to the nations, and he's inviting us to be on mission with him. Jesus is the light to the nations, and he's inviting us to be on mission with him. That's the idea of today's message. Let me tell you where we're going even before we get much further into it. At the end of the sermon, I want to talk about some applications, how it applies to you and me. We're going to talk about one thing to know, one thing to feel, and four things to do. Okay, something to know, something to feel, and four things to do by way of application for us. Before, but before we get there, we have to understand how prophecy of the Old Testament works. Jeff started into that last week. He talked about how Old Testament prophecy about Jesus can apply to his first coming, his second coming, or to both. Today we're going to go just a little bit deeper, and that is to say this. This idea of being the servant of the Lord applies first to Israel and then primarily to Jesus as a prophecy, and through Jesus it applies to us. Now that way of a triple application of prophecy is not unusual in the Old Testament, and not just prophecy, but just just biblical teaching. Let me give you a couple of examples. When God called Abraham, he said, Abraham, through your seed, I will bless all nations. Now, what, who are the seed of Abraham? Well, first of all, the seed of Abraham are all the descendants of Abraham, all the Jewish nation. But then this, the seed of Abraham, according to the New Testament, is Jesus. 
And then those who follow Jesus, whether Jew or Gentile, are now the seed of Abraham. Make sense? The seed of Abraham was first Old Testament Israel, then it was Jesus, now it's all the followers of Jesus. Likewise, in Isaiah chapter 5, a lot of places in the Old Testament, Israel is called God's vine or God's vineyard. And in John 15, Jesus says, I am the true vine. And if you trust in me, you'll be one of the branches of this vine. What was he saying there? I'm the true Israel. So the vine is Israel of the Old Testament, but then it's Jesus. And then if we trust in Jesus, we're part of that true Israel. Well, today's passage is much like that. Today, here's where we're going to go in the sermon. Let me give you a preview, and all of these will go very fast. First, there's the text itself. We'll see what it actually says and what it says about the servant of the Lord. We'll see how it applied to Israel in the Old Testament. We'll see how it applies to Christ primarily, and then through Christ, how it applies to us. John Calvin, one of the leaders of the Reformation, said this text is not only about the person of Christ, it's about the body of Christ, that is, the church. So we'll try to go through those in a pretty speedy fashion. But today, what we want to do is this. We want to see Jesus. We want to see his heart for the nations. We want to see that he calls us to also have a heart for the nations. All right, let's begin by looking at the text. After an introductory comment about who he's really talking to here, we're going to see this about the text itself. It is about the servant of the Lord. And here in this passage, we're going to see his call, his discouragement, and then his greater call to the nations. That's what we're going to see in Isaiah 49. Follow with me. Look at verse 1 of Isaiah 49. He says, listen to me, you islands. Hear this, you distant nations. So the servant of the Lord, before he starts telling his story, he says, this is who I'm talking to. And I'm talking to people beyond Israel. Okay, Israel had no islands, right? And he says here explicitly, I'm talking to distant nations. So it's like the servant of the Lord says, hey, you out there, I've got good news for you. And then he starts to tell his story. The first part of the story is his own call. Middle of verse 1. Before I was born, the Lord called me from my mother's womb. He spoke in my name. He made my mouth like a sharpened sword. In the shadow of his hand, he hid me. He made me into a polished arrow and concealed me in his quiver. He said to me, you're my servant, Israel, in whom I will display my splendor or my glory. Now notice here, Israel is explicitly called the servant of the Lord. Notice the goal of her ministry is the glory and splendor of the Lord. And notice the way she's going to bring glory to God and show the splendor of God is through her proclamation of the Word. And notice this word here is said to be like a polished arrow, but also like a sharpened sword. And in the New Testament, in Ephesians, and also in the book of Hebrews, it says the Word of God is the sword of the Spirit. So that's the call of the servant. Notice next here, we're going to see the discouragement of the servant. Verse part of verse 4. But I said, I've labored in vain. I've spent my strength for nothing at all. So the servant of the Lord says, I'm proclaiming your word and hardly anybody is listening. It's like I'm wasting my time here. What's happening? That's the discouragement of the servant. But notice thirdly here that the, the servant says, here's the next part of the story. God gives a greater call, a bigger call. And that call is to be a light to the nations. We'll pick up here in the middle of this verse. He says, yet what is due me is in the Lord's hand, and my reward is with my God. 
And now the Lord says, he who formed me in the womb to be a servant, to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself. Notice part of this is Israel coming back from the Babylonian captivity and the hearts of the remnant of Israel returning to the Lord. That's part of what happens here. And I also want you to notice this. The servant of the Lord is Israel, but the servant of the Lord is speaking to Israel. In Isaiah 53, we'll see the servant of the Lord redeems Israel. So there's a duality of identity, and that fits into it being prophecy. We continue on. He says, I'm to bring Jacob back to him and gather Israel to himself, for I'm honored in the eyes of the Lord, and my God has been my strength. And verse 6 is key. It's too small of a thing for you to be my servant to restore the tribe of Jacob only, and bring back those of Israel I've count, I will also make you a light for the Gentiles that my salvation may reach to the ends of the earth. That's the key verse. Too little of a thing just to minister to Israel. I'm going to make you a light to all the ethnicities of the world. I want my salvation to reach the ends of the earth. So God basically says to the servant, you discouraged? are you discouraged about how things are going in Israel? Well, lift up your eyes. Look past Israel. Look to the ends of the earth. I want you to be a light to all nations, and your, and your message will have success. Well, there's what is essentially in the text. That's what it says about the servant of the Lord. Let's notice, secondly here today, how does this apply to Israel? How did it apply to Israel before Jesus came? And here's the answer. Israel was called to be a light to the nations, but she failed. She failed. Think about it. When God called Abraham, he said, through you, I will bless all nations. And over and over again in the Old Testament, it is said, you're to be a light to all the nations and all the world. But Israel just began soaking up the blessing of God and missed the mission of God. They pretty much ignored God's calling. For the most part, Israel responded to God's global mission the same way Jonah responded to God when God said, Jonah, I want you to go to the Assyrians and preach the gospel in Nineveh. What did Jonah do? He ran the other way. <laughs> and that's what Israel did about this calling. I think there are four reasons that the Israelites were taken into the Babylonian captivity. First was because of their worship of Canaanite gods. Second was the sexual immorality that was involved in the worship of those Canaanite gods. Third is that they failed to give justice and mercy to what has been called the quartet of the vulnerable within Israel, the orphans, the widows, the poor, and the aliens, those that were not Jewish. They didn't give justice. They didn't give mercy. But the fourth reason they were carted off to Babylon has to do with today's message, and that is they failed to be a light to the nations. So that's how it applies to Israel, and it was bad news for Israel. <laughs> but this leads to the good news for the rest of the world. Secondly here, or thirdly, how does this text apply to Jesus? My friends, here's the heart of my message. It, here it is. Jesus is the true Israel, the true servant of the Lord, the, give, the light to the nations. The light to the nations. This is who he is. Think about all the hymns we sing. We sang this morning, joy to the world, the Lord has come. Come thou long expected Jesus, born to set thy people free. And then we say, hope of all the earth thou art, dear desire of every nation. When we sing, hark the herald angels, we, hark the herald angels sing, we say, joyful all ye nations rise. He is the light for all the nations. 
Now, how do we see that he is the light to all the nations? Think about his life and his ministry. We see that he is a light to the nations by his birth, his ministry, his message, his passion, and his commission to us. First of all, think about it in his birth. Two weeks ago, J. Thomas preached a great sermon here called The Greatness of Jesus. He talked about when Jesus was born, this prophet named Simeon held baby Jesus in his arms. You know what Simeon did? Simeon quoted Isaiah 49, 6. I've seen here in my own arms the light to the nations. He's not only a light to the nations in his birth, he's a light to the nations in his ministry. Yes, he ministered primarily to the Israelites, but over and over again in the Gospels, we see that he ministers to people who are not Jewish. Just one example of that was in John chapter 4. Jesus knows that he's not being received well in Jerusalem and Judea. He says to his disciples, we've got to go through Samaria. And on the way going north through Samaria, he stops and he talks to a Samaritan woman at a well. She believes in him. She announces that to the whole village. Jesus preaches to the village, and many in the village come to Christ. And Jesus says to his discouraged, disheartened disciples right there, so discouraged about how Jesus was not being received in Israel. He says, lift up your eyes. The fields are white unto harvest. You just got to look at places like Samaria, not Jerusalem. His light to the nations in his birth, his ministry, also his message. The most famous verse in the Bible, God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten son. That's ho-hum to us. That rocked the world of the Jewish people who first heard Jesus say it. What? Jesus loves the world? No. Jesus loves Israel. And God's response is, I've loved Israel so that together you and I might love the world. But you blew it. You blew it. His birth, his ministry, his message, also his passion. There are only a couple of times that the Bible explicitly says that Jesus became angry. One of those times was when Jesus took a whip, yes, a whip, and he went into the temple, and he used that whip to drive people out of the temple who were making him angry. What had they done? Well, they were selling animals to be used for sacrifice, and they were exchanging currency, and that was okay. The problem was twofold. Number one, they were overcharging for it, and so they were robbing people. But secondly, the problem was where they were doing it. They were doing it in the court of the Gentiles. What they were doing was prohibiting the people of the nations from coming to the temple and worshiping God. And when Jesus drove them out, he said, he quoted Isaiah 59, my house will be a house of prayer for all nations. You want to make Jesus mad? Get in the way of or ignore his passion for the gospel to go all, to all nations. You want to make Jesus mad? Then have one part of the body of Christ treat another part of the body of Christ like it's inferior. Jesus says, no, no. I've come for all nations. In fact, the Apostle Paul in the book of Ephesians said when Jesus died, that dividing wall between the court of the Gentiles and the court of the Jews was destroyed. We are worshiping him together now. He is shown to be the light of the nations by his birth, his ministry, his message, his passion, and also by his commission to us. In Acts 1.8, Jesus said, you'll receive power when the Holy Spirit comes on you, and you're going to be my 
ambassadors, my messengers, my missionaries to Jerusalem and Judea, and then Samaria, the Samaritans weren't Jewish, and to the ends of the earth. Did you know it took the followers of Jesus, this is amazing to me, 15 to 20 years to get that right? Jesus said it explicitly. They didn't get it. 15 or 20 years later, there's what is called the Jerusalem Council that we see in Acts 15. In Acts 15, the big issue was, what are we going to do with all these non-Jews following Jesus? Is that okay or is it not okay? What do they need to do or not do? And the whole thing got settled when the apostle James stood up and he quoted from Amos and basically said, what's happening here is this, the house of David, yes, it has fallen, but God is rebuilding that house. He's rebuilding that house. Why? So that Gentiles would come pouring in. And the house of David is now populated by people who are not Jewish. That's the amazing thing about the gospel. I want you to know this, my friends. This is the heart of the gospel. This is why Jesus came and was born. It's why he lived a life of moral perfection. It's why he died a bloody death upon a cross. It's why he was raised from the dead. It's why he ascended to heaven. It's why one day he will return in power so that he can redeem for himself a group of people, not only from among the Jews, but from among all ethnicities, all the ethnos, all the nations. And it's all about Jesus. It's about his kingdom, his grace, his glory, his honor. And it's really not about us at all. This is what the gospel is all about. Now, that's how it applied to Israel in the Old Testament. That's how it applies centrally to Jesus today. But we, we can't stop the sermon there, can we? We've got to know how it applies to us. How does it apply to us? And I want to say this as I start into this application. All of this is through the cross of Christ. As I talk about this application, you will probably hear some things where you feel a little convicted. Take that conviction of sin and take it to the cross for your forgiveness. And then as you think, boy, I'm going to need the help of God to do that, take that need for obedience to the cross of Christ and look to his cross for the power to be obedient. How this applies to us, something I want you to know something I want you to feel, and four things I want all of us to do. First is this. I want us to know that Christ's kingdom is not about us and the things we love. It's about Him, His Lordship, His grace, His glory. I realized a number of years after I began following Jesus, even after I became a minister, that I, for a period of time, I was wanting Jesus to bless the church in America so that I could just keep my life like it was. I wasn't really focused on the world, and I wasn't focused on God's kingdom. I was focusing on the things I love not being disturbed. And I was concerned that if the gospel didn't see a resurgency here, those things would be disturbed. And I had to confess my idolatries. I do love my country. I'm very thankful for my country. But I realized I was over-loving my country in this sense. I was loving my conveniences, my way of life, more than the kingdom of Christ. And I was loving, perhaps, my country for the wrong reasons. In 2012, Rick Warren came out with a book called The Purpose Driven Life. In many ways, it was a very simple book. I was frankly amazed at how it sold like hotcakes. The very first sentence of the book is this sentence, it's not about you. It's not about you. My friends, that is the most important thing for us to remember. The nation of Israel blew it because they thought it was about them. They became so self-centered, so self-righteous, so out of touch with the mission of God, 
so much in love with the blessings of God and so disobedient to the worldwide mission of God that their blessing was taken away. My friends, you and I exist for this reason, for the glory of Jesus and for the good of all the nations. You and I exist for this reason, for the glory of Jesus, that all ethnicities, all people groups, every tribe and tongue and nation would come to be a remnant there in all those places, come to be followers of Jesus. And when we say nations, we don't mean geopolitical nations. The word is ethnos, ethnic groups, people groups, language groups. That's who the gospel goes to. My friends, the reason you exist today and I exist today, the reason we're still on this earth is that we might be part of that global mission of God for the glory of Jesus. That's what I want you to know. That's what I want myself to know. That's what I need to know. Second thing is uh, what I want you to feel. I want you to feel something. I want you to feel amazement, humility, awe, and gratitude. Uh, Let me ask you here, if you're not from an ethnically Jewish background, would you raise your hand just for a moment? And that's overwhelmingly the majority of us. The reason I want you to do that is this. I want you to see here a picture of Acts 1.8. Acts 1.8 says that the gospel is go to Jerusalem, and I should have put Judea in the circle with Jerusalem. The first gospel first went to the Jewish people, Jerusalem and Judea, then to Samaria, people that were not Jewish but in the Middle East, and there were other groups, and then it goes to the ends of the earth. You may be saying, well, Bob, what are these four X's? These four X's represent Europe, Africa, Asia, Central, and South America. So if your background is a European background, an African background, an Asian background, a Central or Southern South American background, you need to understand you and I are the ends of the earth, okay? We are the ends of the earth. We are the people that were way out there who don't deserve to be in the house of David. But God has brought us there. He's brought us there. When I was in seminary, I was once at a gathering of some friends, and I was talking with a friend of mine there about Romans 9 through 11, about the sovereign grace of God and how God is saving people, not just from from Israel, but from all the ethnicities around the world, and it's all by His sovereign grace. And as she began to understand what I was saying, and answers to questions were starting to make sense to her, I saw in her eyes she started to get it. And I said to her, Susan, how does this make you feel? She said, I feel humbled, and I feel grateful. If you're of European background, African background, Asian background, South or Central American background, you and I should feel so humbled, so grateful, so in awe. We don't deserve to be here. We are the strangers that are living in the house of David by the amazing grace of God. So there's something to know. It's not about us. It's about his kingdom. There's something to feel, absolute awe and amazement. And then I think there are these four things to do. Rejoice at what God is doing around the world. Pray and support our brothers and sisters around the world. Learn from our brothers and sisters around the world. And welcome people who have come here from around the world. That our global mission will be lived out right here in metro Atlanta. First, I'm telling you to rejoice. Why am I telling you to rejoice and be encouraged? I want to go back to where I started the sermon. Are you, in fact, and I bet there are a number of us, are you discouraged by how things seem to be going in our country, in our nation, and in our culture? Does it seem to you that the gospel is in retreat? 
I want you to see these words written by someone long ago. He said, all that is honorable is perishing. Evils are naked. Our voyage is in the dark. There is a beacon nowhere. Christ is sleeping. That was written in the fourth century. And I want you to know, Christ was not sleeping. The church prevailed, and the church moved on. And I want you to know this, my friends, that the church will always prevail, and the church will always move on. You might feel like this fourth century follower of Jesus, but lift up your eyes. At the time of the Reformation, and for a hundred years after that, you could literally lose your life if you believed, and you proclaimed this salvation is by grace alone and faith alone through Christ alone. And one of the leaders of the Reformation, knowing how people were being killed for the gospel, said this. He said, the church is an anvil which has worn out many hammers. Followers of Jesus, please believe this. Followers of Jesus, please understand this. The church of Jesus Christ is not threatened today. The church will prevail. The gospel will prevail. The anvil is just fine. (laughs) The anvil will wear out hammers here in America, and the anvil is now wearing out hammers all around the world. That's the nature of the hammer and of the anvil. When I put this sermon together, I really envision giving you story after story of people around the world who are being persecuted for their faith, and their greatest desire is not that the persecution would leave. Their greatest desire is simply that they would be faithful in word and deed to be witnesses to the gospel. Then I realized I can't tell you those stories without putting those brothers and sisters in jeopardy because this is online. I can't tell you all the stories, but I do want you to know this. American Christian, lift up your eyes. See that God is doing amazing things around the world. Are you aware of how people all over the southern hemisphere, by the millions, are pouring into the church of the Lord Jesus Christ? In Asia, in Africa, in South America, also in in the Middle East, people are coming to faith in Christ hand over fist in spite of the Islamic persecutions. The church is growing. The gospel is spreading. Please believe it. The anvil is just fine. Let's keep following Jesus together. So rejoice and rejoice and be encouraged with what is going on around the world. Secondly, I want you to do this. Let's pray for and support our brothers and sisters around the world. Through our money, through our prayers, through our visits when we can, let's go be supportive of them. Number three is this. Let's learn from our brothers and sisters around the world. If you've ever been on a missions trip, whether it's to Africa or South America, whether it's to the inner city of Los Angeles or St. Louis or Atlanta, you'll understand this. We have more to learn than we do to teach, and that is so true. Yeah, we have some things to offer. We have a lot more to learn. Things like this, how to pray, how to rejoice always, how to truly worship, how to persevere, how to really love one another, how to be full of gratitude, how to be courageous in the face of real persecution, that is the threat of death, We have so much to learn from our brothers and sisters, and we should go to them and say, please teach us. We have so much to learn. The last thing we can do if we're really to be global Christians is this, is to welcome the nations that have come here to Metro Atlanta. Uh, The thing that is so exciting about Atlanta is God is bringing the mission field right here to us, right? 
He has brought the nations here. And my friends, we cannot be global Christians over there if we are not global Christians right here. The nations have come next door and across the street and down the street and all over our neighborhood and all over our cities. And the God, and I think God is calling us, the Lord is calling us to be wise and loving missionaries right where we are. And I wish we could have whole seminars on this. How do we become wise missionaries to the people next door? How do we become loving missionaries to people who are here from all around the world that now live in metro Atlanta? Because that, my friends, is what it means to join Jesus in being a light to the nations. That's what he's calling us to do. Let me end with this story. End with this story. If you've been around here a long time, you've heard the name Frank Barker. Uh, Frank was the founding pastor of Broadwood Presbyterian Church in Birmingham. And Frank was and is a great mentor to Randy Pope, our founding pastor. I was privileged to attend Briarwood for most of the four years that I attended Sanford University. And Frank was a great expositor, a great teacher, but he did not get emotional very often in his sermons. But he did get very emotional on one particular sermon I remember. He was preaching on this idea that the gospel is for all the nations of the world. And Briarwood had then and still has now a great worldwide missions ministry. But if I remember correctly, Frank was also saying this. The gospel is for all the nations out there, but it's also for everybody right here. And that means we will welcome into Briarwood any and all people. And he made his point by quoting a little children's hymn that I'd learned from my mother. I'd known it all my life. And with tears in his eyes and huge passion in his voice that I'll never forget, Frank's made his point by saying this, Jesus loves the little children, all the children of the world. Red and yellow, black and white, they are precious in his sight. Jesus loves the little children of the world. And he basically said to that church in the mid-70s, if Jesus loves them, we will love them too. If they're welcome in his church, they will be welcome here. And if we're to reach people over there who are different from us, we will reach people right here who are different from us. Jesus has called us, my friends, to be a light to the nations around the world. He has called us to be a light to the nations down the street and right around where we are. And that is his passion, and that is his call. And someday we will spend forever and ever and ever with these brothers and sisters who have been chosen by God from every tribe and tongue and nation. And it will be a beautiful, beautiful thing. Jesus is the light of the world, and he calls us to shine with him. Let's pray. Lord Jesus, we do thank you that because you have come to be the light to the nations, that your light came to those of us here who were not Jewish. Oh, Lord, we're, we're strangers in this household of David. What in the world are we doing grafted in to the olive tree, which is Israel? Oh, Lord, we're strangers here, but yet you've invited us in out of your great and loving grace. Lord, we should be the last people to be prideful. We should be the last people to be self-centered, to be self-righteous. Lord, may we follow you wholeheartedly to be a light to the nations as you have shown your light to us. Thank you that when we see this picture of Jesus, instead of despair, we have hope and courage and joy. Keep us focused on him. We pray it in Jesus' name. Amen. 
You've been listening to the Perimeter Church Sermon Podcast. Perimeter Church is located at the corner of Highway 141 and Old Alabama Road in Johns Creek, Georgia. Please visit our website at www.perimeter.org for more information, to give us your feedback, and to find other sermons from our teaching team. Thanks for making this podcast a part of your day.